This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. Welcome to meeting number 31 of the House of Commons Standing Committee on Industry and Technology. Pursuant to Standing Order 1082 and the motion adopted by the Committee on Friday, July 15th, the Committee is meeting to study Rogers Communications Service outages. The demands for answers into the Rogers outage that took millions of Canadians offline came to Parliament Hill yesterday as the Standing Committee on Industry Science and Technology conducted four hours of hearings into the issue. The day started with Innovation Science and Industry Minister François-Philippe Champagne, followed by Rogers CEO's Tony Staffieri, CRTC Chair Ian Scott, and a panel of consumer and public interest voices. I was pleased to be part of the final panel, and this special edition of the podcast features my opening statement along with exchanges with MPs from all parties. Before jumping into the clips, though, it's worth noting how discouraging the day was. 12 million Canadians were taken offline, and when MPs raised issues such as more competition and regulation, they were met with evasion from Minister Champagne, non-answers from Rogers, and shrugs from Scott, who insisted that this was a technical issue. In fact, Scott seemed so intent on defending Rogers and the status quo that one MP later lamented that he sounded like a telecom executive. Scott wasn't alone. Minister Champagne kept talking about demanding action from Rogers and being in solutions mode, but when the questions turned to competition or the proposed Rogers-Shaw merger, he downplayed the role that competition might play. As for Staffieri, when asked about whether telecom should be viewed as an essential service, he refused to directly answer the question. When asked if 911 emergency access was an essential service, he refused to directly answer the question. When asked about regulated compensation for consumers, he refused to directly answer the question. And when asked about competition, he refused to directly answer the question. Now, unlike the Rogers CEO, I was happy to answer questions. But before doing so, I delivered my five-minute opening. Thank you very much, Chair. Good afternoon. My name is Michael Geist. I'm a law professor at the University of Ottawa, where I hold the Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law, and I'm a member of the Centre for Law, Technology and Society. I appear in a personal capacity representing only my own views. I have to begin by noting how discouraged I've been by what I've heard for the past three hours of hearings. We need more than tough talk and references to ministerial demands to CEOs. It's about far more than who called who or solely about the failure of one company. I think we have to recognize that private phone calls or beers amongst the companies, legislators or regulators isn't the answer. And it can't be about saying I'm sorry, but then evading questions on key issues such as essential services, as if it's hard to acknowledge directly that 911 calls should be an essential service. Or about a regulator who blithely dismisses the role that competition played in this event or that new regulations could play. Today's inescapable takeaway is that much more needs to be done and it needs to come through a legislative framing. To that end, I'd like to highlight the following seven measures. First, the investigation should extend beyond the CRTC's initial round of questions in today's hearing. Organizations such as Interac, governments, and healthcare providers need to explain how they found themselves without redundancy plans and an appropriate backup system to address wide-scale network outages. Assuming some of these questions are outside of the CRTC's remit 
or it's unwilling to extend what is itself an uncertain process further, it falls to this committee to expand the study and ask those questions in a public forum. Second, there must be greater transparency with respect to the outages. Rogers can't claim to support transparency and simultaneously request wide-scale redactions in its submissions to the CRTC. The Commission should reject the request for redactions where it's in the public interest, which seems to apply here given that public safety is involved. Further, there is a need for a consistently transparent approach to network outages and extended downtime. These should be filed with the regulator on a regular basis and disclosed to the public. Third, consumer compensation requires more than a company simply saying it considered the matter and decided what it thinks is appropriate. There should be regulations that establish clear parameters for compensation, including mandated payments for downtime that are automatically applied to customers' monthly bills. Fourth, the communication standards on outages should also not be left to the carriers alone. Outage maps, estimated times to address problems, and consistent, widely accessible communications have become standard for other utilities such as hydro. The same should be true for communication services with penalties levied for failure to meet the requisite standard. Fifth, competition concerns with Canada's communication sector must be met with real policy reforms. While the Rogers CEO may try to claim otherwise with a straight face, few dispute the competition problems that leave Canada's broadband and wireless pricing as among the most expensive in the world. The carriers, as we just heard in, from, in one exchange, the carriers have often touted the link between high prices and network quality, but the latest outage confirms that the networks often fail to live up to the industry hype. Instead, high prices mean consumers gravitate to riskier bundled options in order to reduce monthly bills. Canada needs real competition that draws on both facilities-based and services-based competitors. Sixth, the Roger Shaw merger should be regarded as dead in the water, as the last things Canadians need is an even more concentrated market. This committee has already recommended that the merger not proceed, but left an out in the event that it does. It should adopt an even stronger position in opposing the merger now. Seventh, the next chair of the CRTC is scheduled to be appointed in the coming weeks. In the aftermath of the Rogers outage, a former CRTC chair posted about a commission investigation saying, and I quote, I don't think the CRTC is the body to run such an inquiry. They've become captive to the big players and the current membership are not trustworthy trust seekers. This cannot stand. It's essential that the chair prioritize Canada's communications infrastructure and its impact on consumers and business as the single most important policy issue faced by the CRTC. That person must be independent with knowledge of the sector. While there's been an emphasis on cultural policy in recent months, CanCon policies don't matter if Can Canadians can't access the content or the network. Since communications is job one, a truly independent, digital and network-focused chair of the CRTC is essential. I look forward to your questions. After the panel opening statements, Conservative MP Tracy Gray was up with questions focused on risk management. My first few questions are for Dr. Geist. We heard today how the CRTC as the regulator of telecommunications has not taken risk assessment or oversight seriously, unlike other regulators who do. And so would you agree with this and do you think that they should be? Oh, absolutely. And Mr. Lawford, I think, just pointed to this as well. And, you know, uh, it was, I thought, 
remarkable and exceptionally discouraging to watch the chair of the CRTC kind of give a virtual shrug um, when posed with questions about the role that new regulations could play, about the role that penalties could play, about the role the competition could play, as if all of this is just inevitable and it's just there for the CRTC after the fact to engage in a bit of fact-finding. Um, if the regulator is to mean anything, surely it's got to do more than just that. Well, for, for myself, listening to the answers from the executives at the CRTC, I, I felt like I was actually questioning senior telecom executives, not the regulator. And so on that note, would you agree that the CRTC is not fulfilling their mandate as regulator and the minister is not holding the CRTC accountable? I think you can make a compelling case on both of those fronts. You know, there has been a, an enormous amount of concern and frustration about the way the CRTC has conducted itself. There have been allegations of bias with the current CRTC chair and the industry itself. So your observation about thinking that you're listening to a telecom executive can be forgiven given uh, the way some people have perceived the way this the CRTC has conducted itself. It shifted from an approach that tried to put consumers and the public interest at the center to one in which they are no, they, they see the they seem to be missing altogether. And so we've got a real problem. And the, the role that the government has been willing to do so little in terms of becoming more aggressive, even the most recent policy direction from the minister felt like a, a bit more like more of the same. And it's one of the reasons why I've really emphasized the identity of the next CRTC chair is really mission critical to the future of Canada's communications infrastructure. Well, we heard uh, today from, from Rogers, and uh, part of the testimony uh, that became clear was that Rogers does not have a chief risk officer or uh, someone within that type of a role in a senior executive position uh, overseeing risk of the company, which was quite surprising considering the complexity and um, how large the organization is. What, do you have any thoughts on, on, on that or how they might uh, view risk assessment within their own organization? based on the results that you've seen? You know, based on the hearing, I think their, their primary view is that the biggest risk they face is a regulatory risk. When they were asked repeated questions about essential services, they punted on the question and refused to answer it. When asked questions about the merger, they tried to avoid that question. Um, and ultimately, even just talked about how you know 25,000 employees go to work hard every day as opposed to addressing some of the core concerns that people have. I'm sure people do work hard, but it can't be that your primary focus, it would seem at times, is whether or not legislators and the regulator uh, are going to do their job on these issues. And um, that was, to me, the primary takeaway I took away from uh, many of the comments that came from the CEO today. Mm -hmm. Going back to the CRTC, I mean, it's clear that they're already having trouble meeting their current mandate. And as such, um, you know, no, this of course has to do with the 911 services that went down and also the alerting system services that went down. So with that, do you feel that adding further responsibilities will further dilute their ability to do their work? And one good example might be C11. Yeah, I think it would be. You know, I think the, the CRTC has really struggled to meet its mandate and do what I think Canadians would expect. I mean, the, frankly, the way in which it de-emphasizes competition as just something, well, it might happen um, and it would be nice if it did, as opposed to one of its top priorities leading to the kind of affordable affordability and resiliency that we've heard talked about over the course of the day really ought to be job one. 
it's an organization that's got little experience dealing with some of these internet related issues and the notion of taking c11 c18 potentially some of the online harms issues investing in the commission all of those additional responsibilities i think ought to leave us pretty concerned liberal mp naderskin smith who earlier had the exchange of the day with staffieri in which he questioned how rogers could argue with a straight face that canadians have alternatives in choice asked me about additional reforms Mr. Geist, I want to pick up where uh, you comment around the CRTC chair being uh, mission-critical appointment. And in your view, uh, do you share the view that the overriding consideration for that appointment has to be the best interests of consumers with some knowledge of the communications marketplace? Well, I would say that the number one priority needs to be a regulator that acts in the public interest. And I don't think that's something that we've seen out of the commission. Um, now, I think the way that you achieve that policy objective of acting in the best interest of the public interest uh, is someone that puts consumers in competition at the very center of its regulatory process, not one um, that comes across as apologizing for the, the inadequacies that might exist within the amongst the, the dominant players and simply suggest that, well, that's just the way it is. Yeah, just the way it is. And oh, by the way, I'm just, I just happen to be the CRTC chair. You, you, list, uh, you list off seven points and, and some seem straightforward and obvious to me that you'd have consumer compensation the way we do with airlines, for example, I'd indicated earlier, you have communication standards with respect to outages that undoubtedly some lessons to be learned and collaboration with the FCC around resiliency. Uh, when you speak to though, competition concerns and the and the need for real policy reforms. I, it, it has felt like CRTC has played around the edges. I mean, they've got major powers here. They can order uh, companies to provide services. They can order connections be made. They can set rates charged and, and, and impose just and reasonable rates. They tend to do none of these things from what I've seen. But uh, when you look at additional substantive reform we, we've looked at structural separation at this committee. We, you know, there's any number of commentators who would call for opening up the sector to trusted but foreign competition. What, should we be embracing these ideas? And, and, and what else should we, we, we be embracing? You know, I think the com this committee in particular has a, has a pretty good track record, I think, when it comes to uh, conducting hearings in this sector and coming forward with recommendations. The frustration has been that they haven't always been adopted by the government of the day or the CRTC. You know, I think the MVNO issue on the wireless side is a classic example where there is an opportunity for that uh, was an opportunity, still is an opportunity to try to ensure that we get more service-based competition into the wireless sector. And we saw both the CRTC and the government deeply reluctant, I think, to move in that direction. And, you know, the minister came out with what he thought was what he has promoted as a new policy direction. And while it was a good thing, I think, to sort of wipe the slate clean and come up with something new, I think many took a look at, at, at some of those recommendations and felt it was by and large business as usual. And so there's been, I think, a, a real reluctance to shake things up in the way that's needed. Block MP Sebastian Lemire was focused on the Roger Shaw merger and the potential entry of Quebec Or. Thank you, Chairman. I'd be curious to hear what our witnesses think of um, Quebec or buying part of Rogers. Do you think that they uh, can act as a fourth player in, on the telecommunications scene? 
I would say that, you know, if we're serious about competition in, in this country, and I think that this has been an ongoing concern, the idea of this merger, frankly, wouldn't even gotten out of the gate at all. I think it was only because of the success of getting a merger through in Manitoba, despite what we now know to be significant implications for competition in that province that we're even seeing it at all. The Bureau says they need more time to, to assess the implications of those merger. Roger, as I understand it, is trying to oppose um, some of those efforts. And so surely at a minimum, we need the Bureau that's already expressed concerns about this to be able to study this effectively. And we're seeing Roger saying, no, we want to rush ahead with this. And that's to me sends a bit of, a, of an alert signal that there, there may be real issues here. Merci. Et un, un complément, est-ce que vous... Thank you. And do you have any examples of what happens in other countries that might uh, provide inspiration for what the government's response should be? Do they have things put in place to prevent these outages? I'm in agreement with the notion that, that there is some inevitability to seeing some of these occur. Um, what's not, and, and in fact, we've seen it in Japan, we've seen in the United States recently, you do see it in a lot of jurisdictions. Obviously, some of the other jurisdictions have, have started to move towards things um, like uh, emergency arrangements and roaming and those sorts of things. But what you don't find necessarily in many of those jurisdictions is the reliance on such a small number of competitors in the way that we see here, nor the degree of bundling that we see here. So the people's, so that the impact uh, that was felt in this kind of outage is something that you wouldn't typically see in many other jurisdictions. You simply don't have consumers who, who are that many, that large percentage of the population invested in a single player in terms of their services and having so many of those services wrapped up in it. And what I also think that you find in other places is both a government and a regulator where there's a greater willingness to become more actively engaged on some of these issues. I think the, the takeaway from today is that it's only been a couple of weeks and uh, there, there's this distinct sense of well we can move on uh, as long as we throw Rogers under the bus and they uh, say that they're willing to spend enough money to fix this narrow problem it's not about just this narrow problem there are bigger issues and this really needs to be the wake-up call to begin to address some of those NDP MP Brian Massey wrapped up the panel with questions specifically about whether the CRTC is fixable the CRTC uh, how and I'm like Mr. Geist, you've got some good recommendations, and you're pointing out some, you know, some policy there's. Is it fixable? I guess in terms of uh, uh, if we point the right chair, or if Parliament actually forces its way into the discussion matter, and we get the right person, um, or do we need even more robust um, uh, changes later on? But if if we if is it solid enough? Is that a start just by having the personality type difference? I mean. Uh, we, we have a former CEO from one of the majors as part of our, you know, oversight right now. And that's just, that doesn't cut it for me, especially with all these non-public meetings. Yeah, I would say that the, certainly the the link between industry and the chairs, you know, has certainly, certainly raised eyebrows really from the beginning of the appointment and has continued to do so. Listen, I, I don't know that there's ever going to be perfection. Nobody's perfect, of course, but uh, a starting point of, of both a clear mandate 
the chair seemed to recoil at the notion that there was a mandate as an independent regulator, but it does seem to me fairly clear that uh, you can establish a chair and that it is the government in its role as a regu- uh, in its role as providing the oversight that the chair acknowledged exists that can both set a clear mandate and where some of those priorities lie and can certainly do so in terms of uh, ensuring that the CRTC or mandating that it act first and foremost in the public interest by prioritizing some of the consumer and competition-related concerns. So part of it is who you appoint. I think it matters. There's very strong staff at the CRTC without doubt, but there's a need. At the end of the day, there is leadership at the top, and that makes a difference. And then I also think that there is the role that the government and cabinet plays in all of this. So if we, you know, if the CRTC kicks this a little bit back to the government to say, well, listen, they're the ones providing oversight. And I thought I heard Scott sort of say that that's real oversight. You, you shouldn't be dismissive of that. Well, we need the government to to engage in that. And we need far more uh, aggressive, I think, in at least uh, particularly at this moment, hands-on approach from the government. I mean, we had, we've had the minister while in Japan say, this is a problem, I'm going to get involved. But you can't sort of just wash your hands of it and say, Here, here's the three things and I'll see you in a couple of months and we can figure out if there's anything more to do. Uh, there are systemic issues that exist here. And if the CRTC isn't going to fix it, it's up to the government to ensure that it does. Yeah, and I think it's fair. I want to be fair here to the minister. He's been active on a bunch of files, but I, I was a little bit distraught when he said that he basically the CRTC is in an independent position, almost like it's appointed by somebody else um, or some other, I guess, independent body. I mean, at the end of the day, we set the terms and conditions, even how the CRTC operates and appointing the person is and has to respond back to parliament. I'm just not buying that it's completely independent. Once you appoint the person, there there is influence. Well, listen, in fact, the government is giving itself even more power as part of C-11 to overrule the CRTC. I think there there needs to be a difference between, obviously, once you start getting into the evidence and decision-making, you want that independence. But in terms of trying to ensure that you've got both the right, the right kinds of people that inspire public confidence in the commission, in ensuring that there's a, a clear delineation of what the policy priorities are, and an expressed willingness to exercise powers, both the powers that the government has, as well as the powers that the CRTC has so much of that has gone missing i think in recent years and there's a real a desperate need i think to re- hit the reset button in a sense on many of those issues now as we, we come closer to the uh, a change in leadership that's the law bites podcast for this week if you have comments suggestions or other feedback write to lawbites at pobox.com follow the podcast on twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening and see you next time.